Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. I mean, we're looking at the Holy Spirit, so actually I'm going to speak on the Holy Spirit still, even on Mother's Day, and then the amazing Phoebe McKenzie is going to come and bring a really relevant word for families, but especially for mothers. And so I want to talk to you about the Holy Spirit as a dove. And we're spending, you know, some time, last week we looked at fire and water, next week we're going to look at fire and wind, rather, last week. Next week we're looking at oil and water. And in the morning, we're going to have baptisms um, after the 10 a.m. service, And if you're thinking about that, Olive Taylor has already said that she's going to be baptised on next Sunday. So you're not going to be alone. Um, Olive might be, but you're not if you decide to be baptised next Sunday. And then next Sunday night at six o'clock, we're going to have an anointing service. And that's simply where we're just going to anoint everyone with oil, pray over them and believe that God is going to do what only He can do. That's next Sunday night at six o'clock and baptisms in the morning. So basically, you don't need to let anyone know now that Olive has. The pool will be there. We'll be right to go. And you can just come and um, be baptised. Hang on a second, everybody. Nathan and Christy and Tommy Robinson are in the house. They're back. Has that been three months? No. Lord Jesus, are you coming soon? That is insane. Oh, it's so good to see you guys. Okay, everyone, if you haven't met them, Nathan, Christy and Tommy Robinson up the back there. And they've been away for three months. Okay, the Holy Spirit is like a dove, like fire and wind and as oil and water. So let's look at this scripture in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptised by John. But John, his cousin, tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptised by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptise him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Here we have the the, the Godhead three in one, in the one place, all appearing at the same time. The sun going down into the water, the Holy Spirit descending as a dove and God speaking from the heavens. Let's look at John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 32. It says, Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I want to speak today about three things that the Holy Spirit brings to us that are necessary for us to operate in family, whether it's home family, whether it's church family, whether it's our work community, three things that are necessary for us as Christians empowered by the Holy Spirit to operate. Now, perhaps you haven't decided to follow Jesus this morning and you're like, that sounds pretty specific, Bron. I I encourage you just to listen. Um, At the start of each of these three messages, we're in a three-week series on the Holy Spirit. I want to just highlight to you about the Holy Spirit. I want to acknowledge where you might stand according and regarding to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, depending on your culture and background, you might be thinking, yeah, spirits. Yeah, I I get it. I understand. I come to church. I would expect to hear about spiritual things and in particular, yeah, a spirit. That makes sense to me. But some of you might be thinking, I thought that was reserved for really scary movies. I've never really talked about that kind of thing in real life unless someone was a bit cool. And so, okay, okay, keep talking, Bron. Okay, Um, and so you might have heard people talk in church about the Holy Spirit. You might have heard them sing about the Holy Spirit. And, but you might be still wondering where, like where to put him 
where he sits in the whole church thing. You might be unfamiliar with the concept of the Holy Spirit altogether. And I just want to encourage you that you're in good company because in the Bible, uh, Paul's talking to some people and they're saying, yep, we've decided to follow Jesus. We've repented of our sins. We've stopped going our way and now we're following him. And he says, "Um, have you been baptised in the Holy Spirit? And they say, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. So if you're someone and you're thinking, I haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit, you're in good company. You're like the people in the Bible. So first, let just let me brief run down of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. It says that he's there at the start. He's hovering over the chaotic waters before creation. He's there with life-giving, energetic and creative potential ready to go. And uh, he's often described as the breath of God or the wind of God. And once the world was created, he's empowering people for a particular task. Sometimes it's creating something beautiful or sometimes it's leading the nation or fighting an enemy. Throughout the narrative of Scripture, people come to a greater and a deeper understanding of him bringing wisdom and understanding to people, anointing people and empowering people. There's a promise that he's going to rest on a future leader. And here he is, the very essence of God coming upon them for a particular task, but the idea that he's going to rest one day. And then this, in 350 BC, a prophet declares this promise that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, male, female, young, old, educated, big dum-dum like super rich, super poor, nothing. He is no respecter of persons and the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh and he is the great leveller. So that if you've been a Christian for decades or if you've just become a Christian today, that you receive the Holy Spirit and then that's it. We're all the same. It's not like, well, Carly went to Bible college and she's really, really smart and um, and and <laughs> I don't want to contrast anyone. <laughs> Someone else is hopeless. No, we're all just the same. We're all level because we all have the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's the Holy Spirit. So you might say, Brian, is he God? Yeah, he's the third person of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But I just want to say again, if that pulls you up, if you're like, that's what I don't understand. I don't understand the three in one, one in three, like I don't get it. Just parking lot that. And just listen to this, these words on the Holy Spirit today and let Him do something in you. Actually, I was talking to Tash Ardell this morning and she was saying that she's been reading about a Muslim who came to know Jesus. It's something like from Allah to Jesus. And he, he was like, Trinity, dumb, stupid, can't believe it. And then he went to uni and was learning about science and a certain molecule that exists one as three and three as one all at the same time. And he was like, ah. It just, the penny dropped. Now, if I was learning about a molecule, <laughs> not so much for me, but anyway, it worked for him. Good job, guy. Um, okay, so uh, I was reading this book of John that we just read about and I was reading it with someone and, and they'd never really read the Bible before. And as we are reading, they said, Bron, is this what it means to chew over the word? Because we were discussing, we are making room for questions, we are okay with the mystery. And I said, yeah, that's right. We are just kind of chatting about it. And they started crying and they said, I've only ever been yelled at from the Bible. I've only ever been told that I'm going to hell from the Bible. No one has ever done this. And and now I'm reading it and I'm understanding and I'm able to ask questions about it. And I hope that if that's your experience of the Bible, that's your understanding of what the Bible does, I pray that you can find someone that will read it with you, that will take the time to be okay with the mystery, that will be okay to um, not not take away from anything that it says to be okay with that, but have space to explore it. So we're reading through John and, and this 
this specific passage. And my friend said, okay, so the Holy Spirit was like a dove and rested on Jesus. So does that mean that there was something recognisably different about Jesus? And you know what? I'd never actually thought of it before. I'm like, yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And, um, and whether it was that it was like something about him physically or something about him in the way that he carried himself, certainly something happened in that moment. And, and my friend knew immediately that it wasn't a dove. It wasn't a bird sitting on his shoulder that made him different. So if it's not that, what is it? Well, from here, Jesus is led into the wilderness for a time of 40 days of prayer and fasting. And the first thing that I want to submit to you that the Holy Spirit does in our lives is He creates hunger. He creates hunger. Now, not hunger that is from a fast. I just have been fasting and now I'm hungry. No, no, hunger too fast, hunger to seek God, an insatiable hunger. God wants to birth an insatiable hunger in each and every one of us. It says, God, I can't get enough of you. And the more I seek you, the more I find you. But the more I find you, the more I want to seek you. That is the desire of the Holy Spirit for our lives. You know, it could only be the Holy Spirit that would take Jesus and lead him into the wilderness. Jesus wouldn't do that as a man on his own. Yes, he was fully God and fully man, but he emptied himself of his divinity and he was there as a man. Now you say, Jesus, you're heading off, are you? Yeah. How long? 40 days. Where are you going? The wilderness. You know, there's like wild beasts and stuff in the wilderness. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so what are you taking? Nothing. What are you going to eat? Nothing. What are you going to do? I'm just going to see what God wants to do. You don't do that without the Holy Spirit causing you to do something like that. Matthew 5 verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now that comes after a bunch of blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. And it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Dallas Willard writes, next, speaking of this verse, are those who burn with desire for things to be made right. It may be the wrong is in themselves. Perhaps they had failed so badly that night and day they cringe before their own sin and inwardly scream to be made pure. Have you ever been there? I've been there. Or it may be that they have been severely wronged, suffered some terrible injustice, and they are consumed with longing to see the injury set right. Been there too. Yet the kingdom of the heavens has a chemistry that can transform even the past and make the terrible, irretrievable losses that human beings experience seem insignificant in the greatness of God. He restores our soul and fills us with the goodness of rightness. Now, what does that have to do with being in family? Well, to be in family, to be a son or daughter or parent or pastor or sister or brother or friend, we need to understand that any void or longing that we experience is ultimately a longing for God. That might seem unrealistic to you right now. How can that be? But the Holy Spirit brings you to the place where you realise, oh, I've been long looking to fulfil that longing in the wrong place. And actually it's God that I'm longing for. And that enables you to right-size the people in your life. If they're not the ones who are ultimately responsible for your happiness, validation, feelings of success, then you'll remove the unrealistic expectations from them and then enable the free-flowing, beautiful fellowship with them that you're supposed to have. Because you're hungering, not for them to fulfil you, not for them to validate you, not for them to affirm you, but you're hungering for God who says you are already affirmed. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That is His work. 
And the second one is humility. You know, the Holy Spirit is so beautifully humble, so humble. In truth, the Holy Spirit is the most forgotten about person of the Godhead. Many would prefer God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. Because the Holy Bible is words on a page and it's way easier to understand in some ways than this dove-like, water-like, oil-like, force-like, wind-like, fire-like essence of God, agent of God that is God. Like that's, that's not that easy to understand. And so people are like, yeah, God the Father, God the Son, and I love God the Holy Bible. And they often forget about God the Holy Spirit. And yet the Holy Spirit doesn't say, well, because this is my tendency. If no one ever acknowledges anything I do, anyone with me? Oh, stop you then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's me. The Holy Spirit's like, oh, I'll just keep doing what I do. I'll just keep bringing glory to Jesus because that's my job. I'll just keep leading people into all truth because that's my job also. I'll just keep comforting and advocating and, 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 and groaning on your behalf. That's my job as well. He just keeps doing what he does. The Holy Spirit keeps doing in beautiful humility. Matthew 10, 16 says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and innocent. Another version says gentle as doves. The dove is a gentle bird. The Holy Spirit just didn't descend on Jesus like an emu, like that symbol of power, confrontation and speed. It would have looked pretty funny, let's all be honest. But, but, but he didn't descend on Jesus like an emu, nor like an eagle, okay? Like eagles are these majestic, beautiful birds. You would have expected that. But a dove, like an innocent, like beautiful, gentle bird, like a dove. And... Jesus said, I am gentle and humble of heart. Come to me, or you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. You see, you need to have an aspect of rest about you if you're going to be someone that people can come to. No one ever said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, because I am driven and intense, and I will give you a job. You're like, good, thank you. Instead, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, because I'm gentle and I'm humble. Jesus said that about himself and empowered by the Holy Spirit as well. We can walk into every space that we have gentle and humble. We can have humility of heart. And you might say, Bron, I I kind of work with or I live with a bunch of really strong personalities. And if that would be my posture, I would just be washing up all the time. I would be serving all the time. They would take advantage of me. Hey, this isn't doormat stuff, but nor is it dominant stuff. It is this beautiful word that's used about Jesus called proortes in the Greek, which means the right blend of gentleness. It is power with reserve. It is strength wrapped in gentleness. And that is the humility of the Holy Spirit. Humility. You can go into your environments, not only with a hunger knowing that God is the only one that can satisfy, but with a humility. And finally, helper. The Holy Spirit is called our helper. It could be tricky to broach this one on Mother's Day because you're like, yes, I get it, helper. Helper's been given a bad rap in the Bible. Uh, People say, oh, well, Eve was Adam's helper. And so you need to be helper too. And when we think helper, we kind of think like the help. (laughs) And that we need to be doing um, works of domestic service. But this word, uh, what springs to mind is when we think of the help is subservience. But 23 out of 26 times, the Bible uses the word help in the Old Testament, helper, as a connecto, for God Himself. 
And, and so you're going to say that God was subservient. God, put on an apron and get in the kitchen. It's not what it's talking about. It's saying, you can't do this without my help. That's why Eve was called the helper. Adam, be fruitful and multiply. Adam, be fruitful and multiply. Oh, Eve, help Adam to get the job done that I called him to do. He couldn't do it without her. She couldn't do it without him. And the help of the Holy Spirit is for us to do everything that He calls us to that we couldn't possibly do without Him. And you know what? You are also empowered uniquely for every environment that you walk into. God has put on you the ability to bring something to that environment. Otherwise, you wouldn't be there. He wants you to bring something to that or receive something from it. You're on purpose. You are living your life on purpose. Listen to this. After Jesus came back from the wilderness in Isaiah Uh, No, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus quoted the words of Isaiah in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the Lord's favour, the time of the Lord's favour has come. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has. Did you know that the Holy Spirit has a for He has for you? For He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me. The Holy Spirit wants to dwell with you so that you can. So that. There's a so that attached to this. He wants you to be able to outwork His purpose through you. And as you cultivate your hunger and as you cultivate humility and as you cultivate the fact that actually you're a helper, then you'll outwork your divine purpose. So one final thing before we have a time of reflection and Phoebe comes. Doves are a sensitive bird and the Holy Spirit is sensitive. R.T. Kendall tells this story about a young couple that moved to Jerusalem and a dove came and, and, and dwelt on the corner of their eaves and they saw that it's like, oh my gosh, this is confirmation that we should be here. But what they found was that every time they had a row, every time they had a blue, the dove would fly away. And they're like, oh my goodness, what's going on? And they, they thought, okay, we either need to adjust to the dove because the dove won't adjust to us. If we want the dove, we need to adjust to Him. And just as we talked about with the fire last week, you can't say, oh, well, I don't like the fire, dumb down the fire. I'm sorry, I only want a little bit in that, you know, combustion stove there, that's fine. And I'll keep it at arm's length. No, you adjust for the fire. And in the same way, you adjust for the dove. You adjust for the dove. If you have decided to follow Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. That's just, that's just what happens. But you don't always feel His presence with you because there's this Scripture in Ephesians 4.30, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behaviour. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven for you. Hunger for God rather than for others. Humility and help. And just love us to check in with the Holy Spirit. Recently, I was Katie asked me a question at home, and Daz and I ended up in a blue because of it, whatever it was. Good one, Kate. Oh no, I remember. I remember what it was now. Kate had asked me a question about something that she was that I was, had asked her to do and Daz started weighing in on it. And for some reason, because I'm human, I was like, 
why do you always need to weigh in on everything? And, and, and Daz went, fine. And he went into the gym to go for his run. And I'm sitting on the lounge and I'm like vegging out. And I was just like, go and say sorry, go and say sorry, go and say sorry. It's like, okay. And in my mind, I was like, Daz, I'm sorry, but do you realise that you always do this? You always have to weigh in on stuff. And I went into the gym, Daz pulled out his AirPod and I went, Daz, I'm sorry. And nothing else came out. And, and all of a sudden, the presence, that sensitivity came back and I hadn't even realised it was missing. And I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for shutting this big gob. And so right now I want us to practice the presence of God. And, you know, last week we, we talked about the fire and the wind and we raced out the front and we prayed and we went for it. But that's not all the Holy Spirit does. Elijah was on a mountain once and, and, and you know, rushed through, might have been Moses, but anyway, rushed through a wind, rushed through a lightning storm, rushed through all this stuff. And then in a still small whisper came the voice of the Holy Spirit, came the voice of God. And so I'd love us to practice that right now. And, and maybe that He might highlight an area that you need to repent like He did for me. Repent and then let His presence come and then check in, check in, check in. So let's just bow our heads. Let's take a big deep breath in. And on the way out, just in your mind, would you say, come Holy Spirit. Be Mother's Day mums. So yes, my name's Phoebe. I'm going to show you a photo in a moment, but... On Good Friday 2016, yeah, there it is, a bit cute. Our world changed forever. Our firstborn son, Archer, entered the world. Now, if you know me well, you'll know that I'm a researcher and I'm a studier. So when I figured that I had nine months to prepare for this new arrival, you can be sure I read every book under the sun about what to expect when you're expecting, what to expect the first year, how to have a contented little baby, what to do if you have a discontented little baby. I read everything. But that wasn't enough. So next I ventured online. I joined mum interest groups. I joined mum Facebook groups. I joined mum chat forums. I learned all about nub theories and wonder weeks and why my baby's toe is that weird shape. For anyone who has ventured into the world of online chat forums, can I get a hand to say that we know this is a dangerous, dangerous place full of completely unverified and contradictory information. They should have this big warning sign, you enter at your own risk. But in all my research, there was one thing that really surprised me. Yet it's something so common that we give it its own name. We call it mum guilt. Has anyone heard of mum guilt? What is mum guilt? Well, mum guilt is this feeling or worry that you should be doing something more as a mother that you're inadequate to the task. There's sleep. You know, if you get up for your child's every cry, you're told that you're spoiling them and your child will never settle. But if you leave your child to cry, you're told that you're a monster and your child will grow up as a sociopath. (laughs) We just can't win. (laughs) Mums feel guilt if they go to work. Mums feel guilt if they stay home. Mums feel guilt if they try and do both. They feel guilt if they buy ready-made instead of making from scratch. They feel guilt if they're too soft. They feel guilt if they're too harsh. They feel guilt if their life doesn't look like all the Pinterest boards they follow. Mum guilt is so ingrained in our culture that we see it as normal, as natural. Mum guilt stems from this unrealistic and unattainable image of what perfect motherhood looks like and the inevitable feeling that we're just not living up to it. 
But this kind of guilt is not exclusive to mothers. We all feel it, don't we? This kind of guilt can become a way of living, so much so that it pervades every aspect of our lives. Let's call it a guilt mindset. The guilt mindset is a pervasive and persisting belief that we are somehow inadequate, insufficient. When we have a guilt mindset, we have an image of perfection in our minds and we tell ourselves that we will never measure up to this perfect image. The guilt mindset can be so manipulative in our minds that it impacts everything that we do. We don't even know what we'd look like without it. We can be so paralysed by this guilt mindset that it changes our interactions. For some of us, the guilt mindset causes us to withdraw. We're so afraid of getting it wrong that we figure it's better to not try in the first place. For others of us, the guilt mindset causes us to lash out in anger. And as we lash out, people withdraw from us. And the very fact that people withdraw from us confirms to us every fear we ever held about rejection. Now... (laughs) I've shared many times before that I am not a great gardener, but I'm really, really trying, and I'm trying to improve my gardening skills. There's a project that I'm about to start in my garden where I want to start growing some ornamental vines, so being the researcher that I am, I've started researching, and I've started reading all about vines and some really interesting information that I've come across. Did you know, we're going to go to the next slide in a moment, that a vine is established and grown, that is grown as part of garden decor, can turn an ordinary wall into a living ornamental work of art. However, if not carefully monitored, a vine can snake its way around nearby trees. This might look spectacular for a while, but eventually the vine will strangle the tree. Some vine species are deadly to trees and should be removed as soon as possible lest they wrap so tightly around the trunk that they cut off the flow of nutrients and water. Stronger trees may survive, though the smaller branches will die off, but smaller trees will be destroyed. Living with a guilt mindset is like living with a choking vine wrapped around our hearts. The vine of guilt can wrap so tightly around us that we don't even know what we would look like without it. That vine sends out its tendrils of fear, of anger and of shame, and it cuts off all new growth, it'll eventually destroy us. Or if it doesn't destroy us, like the more established trees, we survive. But all capacity for growth and abundance is diminished and we end up living this shell of a life, a shadow of the life that God calls us to. In John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So what feeds a guilt vine? Well, the first thing that feeds a guilt vine is the enemy. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3 says, Just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The enemy, the thief, comes to steal, kill and destroy, and his intent is that we should not live abundantly. And he has this way of getting in our ear and whispering things to us. He says things like, Oh, you messed up again. Oh, you'll never get it right. You're just doomed to failure. You'll never be as capable as that person over there, so why do you even bother? Can we call out these comments and label them for exactly what they are? Lies. When we can do that, when we can face them and name them, their power in our lives starts to diminish. But, you know, I think more often than not, we do such a good job feeding the guilt vine ourselves that the enemy doesn't need to. So the second thing that can feed a guilt vine is our own internal dialogue. 
When these negative thoughts pop up in our minds, we have a choice as to what we do with them. Do we boot them out right away or do we look at them, dwell on them, ruminate on them? Have you ever noticed that if something annoys you a little bit, you know, someone's a bit short with you in a conversation, something doesn't go quite the way you had planned, the more you dwell on it, the more you think it over, the more you ruminate on it, it actually annoys you more, not less. Dwelling on a guilt mindset is like this. The more we allow ourselves to dwell on these thoughts of inadequacy, the more we repeat these lies in our minds, the more we start to believe them. And the third thing that can feed the guilt vine is the comparison trap, because comparison is the thief of joy. And even places of support can become comparison traps if we're not careful. And you know that's true if there's a bluey episode about it. (laughs) Motherhood particularly brings out the comparison trap in us. To all the mums of young children out there, you're doing a good job. It does not matter what milestones your children have or have not yet achieved. If you are loving them in whatever way that looks like in your family, you are doing a good job. But it's not just mums who compare, right? We all compare. We compare everything. We compare possessions. We compare abilities. We even compare personality traits. We can look at someone and say, oh, that person's just so much more patient than me. I'll never be patient like them. I'm, I'm just a failure. True story. And it has never been so easy to compare ourselves with thousands of people all over the world as it is today. Social media and online platforms are fertiliser for the guilt vine. And as irrational as we know it is, we can feel like if, if my life doesn't look like that Pinterest board, I must be a failure. One of the problems with comparison is that the thing that we're comparing ourselves to doesn't usually exist. Now, if you were to wind the clock back five years on my life, it was pretty hectic. We were navigating the challenges of raising a toddler. Andrew and I were both working full-time and studying on the side. We lived in the heart of Melbourne, so there was this daily struggle to get the 45-minute commute home to make daycare pick up before they charge you per minute if you're late. It was a hard season of life. The mum guilt would kick into me and tell me that I was damaging my son because I'd put him in childcare in the first place. I was so busy that every time not spent at work was spent trying to overcompensate for being so busy during the week. I was self-conscious because I was still carrying that baby weight. There was no time for anything else. It was an essential season of our life, but it was hard. Then I'd look at these friends and this one friend in particular. They just had it all together. You know, they'd bought their dream house and we were still renting. They were running marathons and I got puffed walking to the train station. They were kicking goals professionally, travelling the world for work, and I was showing up to work late with snot in my hair. (laughs) I was ashamed to admit it, but I was envious of their perceived perfect life. I fell into the comparison trap. Do you know what it was that I found out that knocked me right back out of the comparison trap? I found out that that particular friend was grieving from years of fertility struggle and losses, and they were looking at my life envious of my perceived perfect life. The comparison trap can trap you. It can lock you in. And the trouble with the comparison trap is you never have the whole picture. This perfect thing that you think you're comparing yourself to doesn't usually exist. Or if it does, on closer inspection, it's nowhere near as perfect as you'd built it up in your mind to be. So what is the opposite of a guilt mindset? It's a freedom mindset. 
In Galatians 5, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It then goes on to say, You were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. In a freedom mindset, there's no perfectionism. There's no need to project falsified images of ourselves to the world because we are secure in our identity in Christ. We aren't looking for validation from the world. In a freedom mindset, when we're secure in our identity in Christ, we can be authentic. We can be real about our vulnerabilities. We can let down our guard. We don't have to prove anything to anyone because Christ proved it all already. In a freedom mindset, there is no need to compare. And rather than each of us looking sideways at each other to set the benchmark, we, each of us, look straight ahead to Christ. When we fix our gaze on him, all comparison falls right away. In Romans 8 verse 1, it says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I take a moment to say there is a world of difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction at its heart says, you know, you're better than this. You know, what you did or said was not you at your best, but I believe you can be a better version of yourself. Make it right. Condemnation, on the other hand, says, you're worthless. You just keep getting it wrong. You should be ashamed to show your face. In a freedom mindset, there might be conviction, but there is never condemnation. Romans 10, 11 says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. So... How do we dig out the choking vine of a guilt mindset? Well, I believe there are four steps. Step one, stop feeding the vine. James 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Call out the lies that he speaks into your life and you name them for what they are. They are lies. When you hear that internal dialogue starting in your mind, stop Call it out. Tell yourself, stop. I will not succumb to a guilt mindset. I claim a freedom mindset. If you're bold enough, say it out loud. See what kind of reaction you get at the supermarket. (laughs) Or you could just say it internally. You can't control what thoughts pop up in your mind, but you can control whether you dwell on them and allow them to take root. When those thoughts pop up, you need to boot them out, but you have to replace them with something. So when the internal dialogue starts, have something to replace it with. Whether you pray, speak Bible verses to yourself or hum a worship song, replace the lie with truth. Step two to dig out that vine. Cut the vine down. Dig it up by the roots. Get rid of it. Have a zero tolerance policy for a guilt mindset. If you cut down the vine and compost it or keep remnants of it in your garden, it's just going to start to grow again. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. If you're particularly struggling with comparison, then get rid of things that feed the comparison trap. Fast from social media if you need to. Do whatever you need to do to remove the comparison trap from your life. Step three. Spray any remaining roots with herbicide. Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, 
think about such things. The Word of God is the ultimate herbicide to a guilt mindset. Flood yourself with it. Flood yourself with the Word of God. Dwell on it day and night. Play worship music in your car. Pray continually. Pray with your friends and your family. And the final step, the fourth step to digging out the guilt vine and the most important step, let the divine gardener do his work. Isaiah 58, 11, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Overcoming a guilt mindset is not about us performing better so that we have less to feel guilt over. And claiming a freedom mindset is not about us achieving a certain level of perfection to attain freedom. In fact, it's nothing to do with us at all. It comes when we recognise that the righteousness God bestows on us has absolutely nothing to do with us and everything to do with Him. It is nothing to do with anything we have or have not done. Now, there are many things that we can do to help break the choking vine of guilt and to prepare our hearts to receive a freedom mindset. But please mark my words when I say that our ability to live with a freedom mindset is a gift from God and nothing that we can achieve in our own strength. Otherwise, we run the risk of looking at our hearts and saying, oh, I haven't achieved a freedom mindset. It's just another thing I fail at. And it feeds right back into the guilt mindset again. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. A freedom mindset is a gift from God. We can position ourselves and our hearts to get rid of guilt and receive a freedom mindset, but that freedom is not of our own making. It is a gift. I'm going to close now, but I want to leave us with one comparison that is healthy to make, one comparison that is helpful, and that is a comparison to our old self. Psalm 143, verse 4 and 5. When my spirit grows faint within me, when my heart within me is dismayed, I will remember the days of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. Because when we compare ourselves to who we used to be, we are actively remembering what Christ has done for us and in us. No one of us will achieve perfection this side of eternity. As we each run our race on this earth, we will all slip, we will all stumble. We will all fall back into that guilt mindset again and again. But you know what? We get up. We press on. We look back at how far we've come and we keep going. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the more we allow the Holy Spirit, the dove, to work in our lives, the more we evict that guilt mindset and the more we live in that freedom mindset. I'm going to to close now, but I really want to encourage anyone here who is struggling to step out of that guilt mindset. Our prayer team is here. We want to stand with you. We want to pray with you. And we want to help you walk into that freedom mindset that is available for every single one of us. Happy Mother's Day. Hey again. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au. And thanks again for listening.